If you're a business owner, you do not need to tell us that running a business is tough, but you might be making it tougher on yourself than necessary. Do not let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It is time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that do not give you the info that you need when you need it most. Ditch the spreadsheets and all that old software that you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. It is the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. It's everything you need all in one place instantaneously. So whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join over 21,000 companies which are using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how you'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash Rome. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash Rome. That's netsuite.com slash R-O-M-E. One day Shaq came into practice and he, and he said to me, hey man, look, you got to chill out. He, he said, you, you have to chill out. You can't be running 100 miles an hour the whole practice. He said, if you go out there and go crazy like that, I'll, I'm going to try to dunk on you every single time. He, and he said, if you chill out a little bit, I'll take a, a few more fadeaway jumpers. <laughs> And now it's cracking. Hope you're all living well. And welcome to episode 145 of the Jim Rohn Podcast. This week, my guest is Mark the Mad Dog Matson. Mark is a two-time NBA champ, a two-time All-American out of Stanford. He led them to the Final Four. He's the current head coach in Utah Valley. And with everything going on in the world of basketball right now, shoot, with everything going on in the world right now, there has never been a better time to run down the Mad Dog. And on this, National Podcast Day, no less. So let's go ahead and do this. Episode 145 with Mark Matson is coming at you right now. Mark, it is awesome to get caught up with you. Let me start right here. First and foremost, how are you and those close to you doing during this most unusual time? And Mark, what has 2020 been like for you? Well, I mean, look, 2020 has been crazy. Um, Jim, so we actually got COVID. So six or eight weeks ago, I tested positive for COVID. Uh, We think my wife and my two sons had it also. Again, this is six or eight weeks ago. And luckily, the symptoms were not too severe. But um, but look, we got a little bit sick, and we're doing everything we can to to mask up. Um, we are holding practice here at UVU, and and, and we're myself, the staff, um, really everyone is trying to do our very best to mask up, to sanitize, to be safe. Mark, I'm going to ask you about UVU, of course, in a minute. I honestly did not know that you had tested positive. So, what was that like? Well, to be honest, we had a family event planned for the house, and my parents were coming over. And and my parents are, you know, you probably wouldn't know their age if you saw them because they have such great energy. But but they're a little bit on a little bit older, and so you just you want to be careful. And so I kind of got tested just to be extra careful, and it came back positive. And so I'd had a cough probably a week or two before that, but uh, but luckily and thankfully we're doing well. Good. Good. All right, so your first season at Utah Valley was cut short due to the pandemic. I'm curious, what was the experience like, and then what was it like to have to tell your players that they were not going to be able to play in the WAC tourney? It was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had because we were, we were playing really well. We were kind of peaking at the right time, coming off some big wins. Um, we had almost pulled off a road upset against New Mexico State, which just has a fantastic program down there. 
And so we're sitting there in the hotel in Vegas. Um, we're preparing for our game that day. And we got the call saying, hey, the WAC tournament is canceled. And, and you know, the players came down for breakfast. And I, I told them, I said, guys, we all know this, this, uh, this COVID is, is out there circulating and going around, but they've canceled it. And literally, we were on the bus two hours later heading back to Orem, Utah. Hmm. So, Mark, if you take a step back, you had a really nice NBA career. You won a couple of rings. You went on to coach in the NBA. You were also coaching in the developmental league. On top of that, you went back. You got your MBA in business at Stanford. Obviously, you had a lot of opportunities available to you. What was it about the opportunity at Utah Valley that you liked so much? Well, Utah Valley has a, has a tremendous basketball tradition. I mean, people, people in-state know about it, and people are learning more about this program out-of-state. But um, – you know, you, you go back 10 years, you go back 20 years, Utah Valley is a basketball school. Ronnie Price uh, had a nice 11 or 12-year career in the NBA. He played for the Lakers, played for the Jazz. He, he's one of the best players that, that came out of here. Travis Hansen, another NBA player. Some great coaches have come through here. Dick Hunsaker, Mark Pope. This area loves basketball, and it's just it, it was, it's an honor to be coaching here. All right, so we're still waiting word on the start of the season. What kind of thoughts do you have on that? When do you think the season should start? I, I think the season should start. Um, I, I'm in agreement that it should start November 25th. I, I do think it's very important that every school have, have protocols in place. Um, for a long time, we kind of broke our team up into three different, we're calling them pods, uh, just so that if, if we had one positive with one of our players that we kind of isolated the groups, we, we try to sanitize our hands. In practice, three or four times, um, the usage of masks, and, and just trying to be very, very careful um, and, and protect our players. All right, so, Mark, speaking of practice, you've always been an extremely high-energy guy. I know you're taking care of yourself. That said, how hands-on hands are you in practice with your guys on the floor? I, 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 love, I love our players. And, and that being said, we have a tremendous staff here. We have a great staff. We have a lot of future head coaches on this staff. Um, I'm very involved. I love getting on the court with the guys. When, when I first took the job, somebody went down with a knee injury, and we were playing three-on-three, three, so we needed an extra body. So, Jim, I, I got out there to play. The, the problem is I lasted about two minutes before I was breathing heavy, and I had to get a sub. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, you say that, Mark. You say that, and I believe that, but I also heard that you straight-up dunked on one of your guys. Is that true? No, I did, I did not. I, I think one of our players pulled out his Instagram and said, Ken, you still dunk, and, and I think I barely fingertipped it in, Jim. You see, I, I think that, with, with all due respect, Mark, I know that you would never not shoot me straight and tell me the truth. Are you sure? Are you denying that you dunked on one of your guys? I heard you straight up, not finger-rolled or fingertipped, but straight up dunked on a guy. Uh, nope. No. Never happened. <laughs> that never happened. No, no. It's, hey, sometimes rumors fly, but, but no, that, that didn't happen. Some of our guys dunk on me. But, but, but not the other way around. All right. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to accept that, but not necessarily fully believe that. I think, I think you're doing the right thing. Now, I know, I know this. I know this to be true. You had my guy, my fellow gaucho, Brian Shaw, to talk to the team via Zoom earlier this month. I love hearing that. What was his message to the team? Well, we talked about a lot of things. Um, you know, Brian Shaw, first and foremost, is his basketball mind is, is one of those guys that's just off the charts. And so I wanted Brian to talk to our guys about their, their playing careers. You know, I think we have some pros in our program. Um, and so Brian talked a lot of basketball. We talked about some of the social issues, um, which I feel passionately about. Most of our players do too. Um, and, 
you know, I, I mean, I asked Brian to kind of share some of his personal experiences. Um, you know, I think that that the 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 message out there of <clears throat> everything is perfect in in the country. I don't think that's I don't think that's right. You know, I think I think we do have things that, as a country, we need to come together. We need to talk about. If anything, we need to talk about them more. And all of us need to make changes. All of us need to make changes because um, there there are issues in this country. I, I do believe that it's unfortunate, but I do believe that that racism exists, and we have to take a stand against it. And, and I think that. Brian Shaw was an amazing speaker on basketball and, and on social issues, and, and, and we've had other speakers come in also. Um, almost every single member of our team is registered to vote. We're, we're getting close to having 100% voter eligibility and participation in terms of just being registered, and, and we're excited about that. Um, but more than anything, Jim, our, our group of players is, is such a unique group of, of young men. We have a player from L.A. We have a player from Northern California. We have a, a, a strong group from Utah. We have players from Texas. And so one of the great things about sports is that it brings us all together from different backgrounds, and it allows us the chance to talk about things openly. You know, I can appreciate that very, very much. I mean, clearly, Mark, you are having these conversations with your team. You're talking about the current social climate nationally. In fact, you've also written about things like this. You, you mentioned you would like to see change. You would like to see police union reform. What would that look like to you, and what would you like to see in that regard? Well, another Zoom call that we had kind of during the pandemic is, is we brought in um, some of the top public defenders from Los Angeles. Um, public defenders with collectively decades and decades of experience representing the, the whole wide range of people that, that run into legal problems. And um, it, it was a great discussion between these public defenders from Los Angeles and our players. And, and the, these, these lawyers basically said, hey, look, you know, they deal with so many police officers, men and women, who are phenomenal, who do honor and justice to to their profession, that they also mentioned that there were times when, when some, and this is their experience, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sharing some of what was on the call, but they said that sometimes they'll run into some officers that, that repeatedly um, seem to be problematic. And so, you know, and, and sometimes when they go to file complaints and things like that, the union is so strong, uh, the police unions are so strong that, you know, those those rare cases of bad apples are protected. And so I think anyone could, could probably realize that there needs to be change in that regard. The, the example I used when I wrote about this on my blog was, you know, sometimes when I was playing for the Lakers, we had some games when we got beat by 30. You know, we had Shaq, we had Kobe, we, we had Robert Ory, but we had some games when we got beat by 30. When that happens, we go into the film room, we review the tape. And we say, what went wrong? What do we have to fix? What can we never do again on the court, ever again, as professional athletes? You're talking about pro athletes that are highly trained, highly competent, but still, you know, things come up on the court that, that need correction, that need training. And so the point I really tried to get across, Jim, was, was that I support our law enforcement 100%, but I also support an introspective look because – we, we, we've seen some of the images from the summer. It's not right. It's not right. And 
the images that we've seen, if you go back in time, 15 years, there have been other images, and then you go back before there were camera phones. And, and so th- there, there are things that have to be corrected, uh, just like a basketball team has to correct things when things go wrong on the court. Hey, fellas, let me ask you something. Have you been working remotely? Have you been at home? Have you been staring at your gray hairs and all of your colleagues' gray hairs on video calls for months now? If so, and you're thinking about coloring your hair, do not freak out on this because you're not alone. And it's actually a very good idea. As an example, last week, I heard about Madison Reed Mister, and what caught my attention was the before and after shots of beards. Madison Reed Mister is a gray-blending, natural color for your hair and your beard. As an example also, you might be terrified of that shoe polish look. You should be. It's horrible. But that's not what's going on here. That's not what this is about. Or maybe you're not looking for a drastic change. Maybe you just want a little more pepper and a little less salt. Whatever look you are going for, Madison Reed Mister makes it easy to find your color match right there on their website. The process is so easy. They deliver right to your door. The process is quick and it's easy. All you have to do is apply the color gel to dry hair. Apply the color activator, wait 10 minutes, rinse, and then shampoo. The natural-looking hair color fades gradually, so there is no commitment. It's like magic. Go to MadisonReadMister.com. That's MadisonReadMR.com. Use the code ROAM and get 10% off and free shipping on your first box of Madison Reed Mister. That's the best deal you can find. One more time, use the code ROAM, MadisonReadMister.com, code ROAM. Speaking of conversations, you know, when you mentioned those great Laker teams, when you were in the NBA as a player and you were in those locker rooms, did you used to talk about these types of things? Did your African-American teammates used to talk about what they went through, what they had to endure, and the fact that they were not getting the help that maybe they wanted or needed? 100%. And, and I've, kind of, I've kind of shared a little bit with, with our players and, and staff my own personal experience. I grew up in a great area, Danville, California, close to Oakland, um, you know, pr- pretty good diversity. Um, and, you know, my, my, my parents taught us that, that Martin Luther King was a hero. And that's, you know, I, my, I kind of came to the conclusion that, hey, Martin Luther King was, that, that was the 1960s, we've come so far, it's not really an issue now. And, and I'll, I'll say it openly, that's kind of what I thought as I was going into junior, senior year in high school, and even, even going into college. And, and then I started being in a locker room that was probably more diverse than, than I had experienced previously. And, and then teammates started expressing some of their personal experiences from the past. But then I got to the NBA. There were a few teams where there might have been one or two or three white guys on the team. And um, that's one of the great things about sports is, is people come together from different backgrounds. And Look, some, some of my African-American teammates shared with me very personal stories of their own experience, and it, and it made me sad to hear some of the stories. Um, I, I had a teammate who, who was, while on the Lakers, he, he was driving a very nice car in a neighborhood, was pulled from his car, was put on the ground. There was no traffic infraction. Was, guns were, were, were taken out. And, uh, and we had training camp a, a little while later, and... By the time the results from his physical came back, the trainers were telling him on the first day of training camp, you cannot practice. Your blood pressure is at a dangerous level. What have you experienced? Have you experienced 
something traumatic in the last few days or in the last weeks or months, a divorce, a death in the family. And, and by the time he put it together, his blood pressure was at dangerous levels because of this incident, which happened. Again, Jim, I, I truly believe that, that the vast majority of men and women in law enforcement, I believe they're amazing people. I could never do it. You, you get an, a phone call, someone calls in on the 911, you have to show up to a situation where you have no idea what's going on. That's scary. It's dangerous. But I think we can all say that, that some training probably has to improve. So some things can be done so that we don't repeat the same mistakes of the past. Mm. I'm really glad, Martha, you and I can have that part of the conversation. I think that, again, this is a discourse and a conversation that has to be had nationally, to be sure. I certainly do want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about your career as well, although that is a really important conversation you and I were having just now. Yep. But when you get to the NBA, like you had this amazing career at Stanford. You were a two-time All-American. You led the Cardinals to the Final Four. You were absolutely relentless. You were the mad dog. And then the Lakers take you 29th overall in the 2000 draft. When you heard your name called, do you remember what went through your mind? You know, I think I was, I think I was in shock. You know, David Stern, I'd grown up watching David Stern conduct the drafts and, and say players' names. And so I, it was, I was in shock. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was excited. A couple minutes later, Phil Jackson called me. Um, I'll never forget that. You know, he called me, and it was a short call. He said, hey, we're really excited we drafted you. And he said, he said we think you can help us win games. And here I am. I just watched the Lakers win their first championship against uh, uh, against Indiana. They had beat Portland in the earlier in the playoffs. They had come back from 14 points down. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to help a team with a guy like Shaq, with a guy like Kobe? How in the world am I going to help them win games? And and over time, I I did help contribute. Um, after one of the championships, uh, Tex winner got up in front of the team right before the parade. We're in the locker room getting ready to go on the parade and the floats through L.A. Um, a million people came out to support the Lakers. And Phil got up in front of the whole team and he said, guys, there's no, we would not have won. Actually, he said, we probably wouldn't have won it without Shaq and Kobe. I like the way he said probably. <laughs> well, of course we wouldn't have won it without them. But, but, but then he said, there's no way we would have won this without every single man in this room. And believe it or not, th- that really impacted me because somebody has to go against, against Shaq in practice. And, and it, it was me and Slava Med- Medvedenko. You know, somebody has to be ready to play when Kobe gets hurt or Derek Fisher goes out. Brian Shaw was always ready to step in and make huge plays. You know, somebody has to go out there and guard Allen Iverson in the NBA Finals after not playing much during the regular season. Teron Liu. Teron Liu went out there and did a phenomenal job against the Hall of Famer. And so really, a lot of players, even if your contribution is considered smaller, you still have a huge part of helping the team win. And and that's something that I reiterate with our guys here. Everybody contributes. You know, when you lay it out like that, it's really, really interesting, Mark. When you talk about having to go, somebody had to go against Shaq in practice. Now, knowing you, you went as hard as you could every single day. Knowing Shaq, I bet he wasn't necessarily about that. Like, what did he make of you bringing the mad dog intensity to him every single day in practice? How did that work? <laughs> well, well, first of all, I mean, I, I think 
I'll never forget this. One day Shaq came into practice and he, and he said to me, hey, man, look, you got to chill out. He said, you, you have to chill out. You can't be running 100 miles an hour the whole practice. He said, if you go out there and go crazy like that, I'm going to try to dunk on you every single time. And he said, if you chill out a little bit, I'll take a, a few more fadeaway jumpers. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I, I, I probably, when you get pounded on by Shaq every day, sometimes you have to chill out just a little bit, you know, which I did, but, but not by much. Because when it's all said and done, Phil, Phil Jackson was really smart. He had a rule. He basically said, hey, look, if, if you play 20, 25 minutes or more the night before, you don't, you don't practice. You lift, weight, you lift weights and you shoot. And so Shaq and Kobe did more lifting weights and shooting when we got into the heart of the season, and the rest of us were really out there trying to go at each other. Yeah, but it seems to me like, I mean, I mean Shaq probably didn't want to hear it. Mark, but and I know you would never say you know who the hell I am. I'm the Mad Dog, but it seems to me like that. We know how you're wired. We know what got you there in the first place. I'm guessing you really don't have an off switch. I mean, so could you even dial it back if you wanted to? <laughs> I, I mean, look, that, that that was kind of my game. I, I I was an energy guy, and I I had to be an energy guy, Jim, because because I, I didn't have some of the unique abilities that my teammates had. So I, I had to go hard. I, I had to bring it every single night to practice and to the games. And ultimately, I think, I think Shaq respected that. Um, you know, the, the, the thing I'll say about Shaq, probably what, one of the best teammates I've ever had at any level. Um, we, we were in Hawaii for training camp. And I know a lot of, you know, you might disagree with me, Jim, and, and a lot of the listeners might disagree. And, but I was walking with one of the longtime Lakers scouts, and he said, Shaquille O'Neal is one of the best, if not the best player to ever play the game. And I'm not saying he's the best, but, but he is. People thought he got done what he got done on the court because of sheer physical attributes, explosiveness, speed, strength. Shaq was one of the most skilled players. He could dribble. He, there are clips out there of him leading the break in transition for the Lakers. Um, you know, Shaq was skilled. Shaq worked hard. Um, there were some free throw struggles, but he'd be in practice. He'd shoot 100, 200, 300 free throws um, every day in practice, working on his game. He, he had a strong work ethic. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, yeah, it, to be honest, Mark, I did get on the wrong side of him because at times I did question that work ethic. And although I, I, I need to be as objective as possible, I mean, I'm going to own this. I, I certainly was more of a Kobe guy than a Shaq guy, but Shaq was an extremely unique athlete and more than just a big physical guy. But since you mentioned, like, there's a scout that said Shaq was the best ever. I mean, not to drag you into this, but you did play with Kobe and you did play against Mike and you did coach LeBron and you did play with Shaq. I mean, these are all different guys but who's the goat <laughs> jim you have to ask me the hard question come on i'm not a media guy i know the media guys go on record but but, but yeah, let's but talk yeah, about you're it. a stanford man though you're a smart guy <laughs> and you and you went against all these guys or coached yeah. all these guys well first of all i grew up watching michael you know for me personally michael's one michael's one respect that and and i, I coached lebron for one season you talk about a talent Le- Le- LeBron is a talent. He, he and Le- LeBron is not only someone that can take over the game offensively, but he makes everyone around him. He enhances their game. He he takes he helps 
everyone else's game flourish because he's 6'9", 6'10". He can see over the defense, and his passing is unbelievable. But, but in terms of that number two spot, I have to roll with Kobe. And the reason why is because, um, number one, I played with him. But, but number two, I think Kobe could single-handedly just you – could, you could throw the ball over to Kobe, and he could rise up over three defenders and, and make a shot with guys hanging all over him. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's close between all those three, but, but, but that's where I stand on it. I really appreciate that. I respect that, Mark. That's a really candid response, and I appreciate it. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not reach for a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you don't see it. Ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? You know, you mentioned Kobe, and it's just, it's been eight months since Kobe and Gigi and seven others perished in that helicopter crash, man. It's just, it's so, so sad and so hard and so strange and so surreal. How often do you think of Kobe, and what kind of thoughts and memories come to mind when you do? Well, it's during, first of all, I found out that, that Kobe had died. I was, I was in Sunday services, and, you know, we, we have two kids, and so we sit in the back because sometimes my son needs to go out in the hall and, and kind of take a breather. So I was in the back. I, I happened to have my phone. Probably shouldn't have the phone in church, but something popped up, and it was a Facebook message, and uh, it, it was someone I didn't know saying, hey, Kobe just died. Can you comment on it? I'm thinking this is just one of those – who knows what this is. This is some kind of hoax. Well, then five or ten minutes later – everything started blowing up. People are telling me it, it happened. And, and, you know, I, I was, I think the first thing Jim was just utter shock, just complete shock. Um, and then the next week, you know, I ended up having a, l- a lot of conversations with people uh, about Kobe and, and I started feeling, you know, some of the emotion of it. Um, my first year with Kobe was, was probably my first year in the NBA was probably the easiest season I've ever had. We were winning. I was playing pretty well coming off the bench, coming in, get a dunk here, get a layup there, you know, five to 20 minutes, you know, probably closer to the five or 10 in there every night. It was so much fun. Um, my, my second year, Kobe really started pushing me and challenging me pr- probably harder than I've ever been challenged at, at anywhere um, before or since. And, and that, that was difficult for me, Jim, because I'd never been pushed in that way by a teammate or a coach. And it was hard. It was really hard. A couple times, Kobe would get after me so much in practice. I mean, one or two times, I waited for him after practice. And I said, I, said, I, don't, I don't like that. You know, I, I'm good with this man. I'm good with telling me X, Y, or Z, but this other thing you said, I, I don't like that. Now, Kobe was pushing me to be the best player I could be. And I think I probably needed to develop a thicker skin being in the NBA. And I think Kobe probably saw that, and he was probably trying to help me with that. And so that there were some hard, uncomfortable moments for me personally in, in year two and a little bit in year three. But, the, you know, go ahead. No, I, I'm listening. I, this is fascinating. Yeah. And so, but the, the one thing I'll say is, is when I got upset because he was getting after me, we all, not always, but most of the time, we, could, we would talk about it. We would talk about it 
you know, after practice later in the day. And it didn't happen that often, but I really respect that, that he would always listen. That was, that was part of my growing and maturation process to, to learn how to get tougher, have thicker skin. I think physically I was very tough. You know, no, nobody, if anyone came in there and hit me, I was hitting back. But I think some of the mental and emotional toughness, he, he really helped me develop. And truthfully, I, I tell people now, I say, look, I played with Kobe. I, I could play with anyone in terms of, of uh, you know, just that type of needing to have thick skin. I, I played with Kevin Garnett. Kevin's a guy that gets after people. And, and to be honest, that was easy for me because I, I had been able to develop a strong working relationship with Kobe, but, but it, was, it did not start that way. It started off very hard for me, but over the years, our relationship grew and it grew and it grew. And I went back and I actually coached Kobe at the end and it just, it continued to grow. Um, you know, I, I was with Kobe when he was single. Um, we, we went to dinner in Memphis one night with one of his friends from Philadelphia, you know, and, and then I was, I was with Kobe and he married Vanessa and, and, and they raised a beautiful family together and and so it's hard when it's hard with someone like that who who has just you think about what kobe did in his first 40 years and he was going to do equally great things in his next 40 years maybe better in some ways maybe better things and so sometimes it just it's uh, it felt too soon but look we're not that's not our decision that that's and, and even if we think it's too soon it's just that's out of our control, and so I think ultimately I love him. I love him, and I, and I miss him. It's an amazing, an amazing anecdote, an amazing story, Mark. That, that is really something. I'm like, I'm spellbound by that. Let me, let me ask you this, because I knew Kobe a little bit, certainly not like you did, but I knew him a little bit, and I will forever be fascinated by the Mamba mentality. And I need to ask you, why do you personally think that he was the way he was? Where did the Mamba mentality come from? That's a great question. I don't know. I, I don't know where his mentality came from, but I can tell you it's a unique mentality. It, it, it's, it's a very unique mentality. Um, you know, I remember I got to the Lakers and someone fell on the ground, an opponent fell on the ground, and in college guys would fall down from the other team and I, w- I would help pick them up. Well, I, I went to pick some, an opponent up off the ground one time. You know, you, people get knocked down. And Kobe Anshak basically said, never help an opponent up in the NBA. And I actually stopped doing it. I stopped doing it. Um, Kobe, he took winning seriously. He took winning seriously. And that's reflected in his work ethic. The first time I met Kobe, it was 9 a.m. at the practice facility in El Segundo. It was the old practice facility, not the new one. And I was in there early at 9 to lift weights and shoot. And so Kobe walked in with his trainer it was the first time I met him, so we kind of said, what's up? And I said, hey, you know, let's get some shots up. He said, I already got my shots up. I already got 2,000 shots up at, at 5 a.m., mm-hmm. is what he told me. Wow. And, and when I say he takes winning seriously, there's a lot of facets to that. Number one, it was his personal work ethic off the court. And number two, when he got on the court, he, he was so fierce. You know, the Kobe Bryant of, of years 2000 and 2003 – was very different than the Kobe Bryant when he retired. He just he evolved. He was a different person. But in those early years, he he was 
he was so fierce. And, and when he stepped on the court, it was no more Mr. Nice Guy. He, he was winning, winning for the Lakers in L.A. was the priority, and he did it, and he did it. Mm. So, Mark, when you think, and I so appreciate this conversation, before I let you go, when you mention LeBron, like you look at LeBron, and LeBron's just a different kind of player altogether. When you see a guy that size who can do what he does, and it seems kind of cliche and kind of trite to say it, but the guy always does make the best or the right basketball play. And you see what this guy's doing right now, 17 years in and still playing at that level. And when need be, you know, maybe night to night, he's not what he used to be because nobody is at that point, but he's still the best in the world when he needs to be. My question is, how much of that is God-given and innate ability, but how much of that is grind, blood, sweat, tears, and study? Boy, that, that's, that's, that's probably the question that a lot of fans watch when they watch the game, <laughs> you know, and, and that's a great question. Um, I'll never forget this. The one year I coached LeBron, Luke Walton show, showed a, a clip on, on film in, in the film room, and, and it was a little bit more of a complicated clip, and and he was about to ask the team, um, you know, a question about it. And literally, LeBron just spoke up. And LeBron, and, and by the way, as his staff, we had been studying the clip upstairs for a while. And we had been seeing the clip, and so we had time to formulate our ideas. And literally within less than a second, LeBron was narrating the clip perfectly, perfectly, talking about what, how the defense would shift and react to every single option in the clip, and, and when, when I heard that, I remember I talked about it, I think, with Miles Simon, who's still on staff with the Lakers. We were blown away by it. And the, the question is, how do you, number one, let's talk about his knowledge. How do you get that type of knowledge? Well, that type of knowledge, I think, number one, Le, LeBron, I, I truly believe Le, LeBron is one of those guys that's just mentally extremely, extremely smart. Okay, so that's the first thing. But then there's a lot of smart people that, that, that you know, never kind of do anything special, but I think when you combine how smart he is with how much he's studied the game, how much tape he has watched, all, all the experience, you know, all the thousands of thousands of, of playoff minutes, I think that's one piece of it. And then the other piece is, yes, he does have some off-the-charts physical attributes, but, I mean, Jim, the one year I was with him, probably 90% of the time, he was one of the first people in the facility in terms of the, of, of the players every single day. And you're talking about your superstar 90% of the time being the first guy in the facility to do the extra treatment, to do the extra weight training and strength training, to do the stretching, to get his shots up. When I was playing, everyone was talking about John Stockton because he played, I think, into, into he was 40 or 41, I think, when he retired, and everyone talked about how well he took care of his body. Well, Le- LeBron is the same or more. LeBron's the same or more in terms of, how seriously he takes his profession and his craft, and it shows. I mean, it shows, and it's, it's special to watch. This just in, Peacock is the new streaming service from NBC Universal. Great entertainment is finally free. And Peacock has got live sports, daily highlights, timely docuseries, and exclusive access to Premier League. 2020-21 Premier League season with over 175 exclusive matches live streamed on Peacock. Also, exclusive streaming destination of the 2021 Olympics. Real stories, beautifully told documentaries that tell the otherwise untold stories of grit, perseverance, and triumph behind the athletes we all love. 
the best of streaming, best of TV. You can watch for free and upgrade for more on your TV, tablet, or phone. Simply go to PeacockTV.com to download and start streaming right now. PeacockTV.com. I mean, he is a pro's pro, and you hear that all the time, like, well, LeBron spends seven figures on his body. Well, yeah, body is temple, and he's committed. And then finally, Mark, what about the finals? Like, the Lakers are heavily favored in the series, but you know the heat. You know the heat. You know they'll show up. You know they'll battle. And there's so much that talk about this so-called heat culture. Like, I'm curious, how would you describe what the heat culture is, and then how does that translate year to year on the floor? So the, so the Heat culture, that's interesting. I've wondered what the Heat culture is. Right. Um, I've talked, I've had teammates that had played for the Heat and then come up to the Timberwolves, and I've asked, you, you know, what is it about the Heat culture? And obviously it starts with Pat Riley. Um, one thing about the Heat culture, and I, you've heard this, Jim, maybe some of your, your listeners have not, but if your body fat is, is, below a, is above a certain threshold, you don't practice. The, the rule in that program is if, you're, if, if I'm a big guy and I'm 35 and my body fat's supposed to be 9, if I come in there and I'm 10, they just say, get on the exercise bike. You're not practicing today. You know, do, do a 50-minute uh, exercise with your heart rate monitored, with your heart rate over 150 for, you know, 30, 40 minutes, then go ahead and practice. Okay, so, so that, that, that's, that's one aspect. I, I remember one teammate of mine, I, I said, you ever been late? And he said, I was late one time in Miami. I, I said, okay. So <laughs> one time me, in Miami. And he played for Pat Riley. And I said, okay, well, well tell me what happened. He said, I, first of all, I said, well, what, why were you late? He said, man, I fell asleep. <laughs> right. And so I said, what happened? He said, man, I walked in there to the film session on a game night. Okay, not good. And Pat Riley stopped everything and said, why the heck are you coming late? I said, what'd you say? I just told him, I said, man, you don't even want to know. <laughs> and, and, and Pat left it at that. <laughs> no, no kidding. Wow. You know, so I, I, that culture is strong. What I'm excited about, Jim, is just I, I think both the Heat and the Lakers have been awesome in the playoffs. I've watched a bunch of games, not every single one, but most. Both teams have made unbelievable adjustments throughout the playoffs. So I'm excited to watch that as it unfolds. But so Mark, bottom line is for me, like you, you have so much ahead of you, and I know you're only worried about what's what's you know, directly in front of you, in your heart, do you feel like you're now a college guy, a college coach? Is the NBA in the back of your mind? You know, what's it look like for you going forward? I love coaching, and, and to be honest, I love them both. There's pros and cons about both, but I'm, I'm really enjoying – my wife and I are both really enjoying our time here at Utah. My wife is from this area up here, Orem, Utah. Um, UVU is right here, and so we're surrounded by family. It, that, that's awesome. It's great, and, and the, the young men that we get to work with here are great players and great people, and that's probably – one of the things I look forward to the most every day is, is, is being around our players, just really talented players and great people, and, and that makes it fun for me every single day. Right, so, Mark, last thought, because you mentioned your wife. Let me ask you this. Like Shaq famously back in the day helped you upgrade your car, your <laughs> wardrobe. He got you a watch. He did not also get you a wife, did he? <laughs> look, he tried. He tried many times, Jim. <laughs> We'd be out. He was always trying to line me up with, with people that he found and, and, and nice people that he came across. But, uh, but it, was actually, it was actually my mom who, who helped set up a blind date with Hannah, and, uh, and, and it really worked out, and, and we're really happy. We got two little boys. So, I, look, I got married at 40. It, it was, I was a little on the later end, and, uh, but, but Hannah and I are really, really happy and uh, at a fun stage of life with our two little boys.
That is incredible. So uh, just one last thought, actually, about the team. Mark, is this true? Do you Are you returning one player, and do you have 17 new players? If so, I've never heard of anything like that. It, it, it's close to that. We, we, had, we had a lot of guys graduate, and we had a lot of openings for, for different reasons. And so, we, I mean, we had a busy summer. We brought in some great players. And uh, the style of play is going to be really fun to watch. And so if you can, Jim, catch a game or two this year if you can. Count on that. You know I will. So I'm looking forward to that, Mark. It is what a great conversation. That This is why I do this side hustle, this podcast. I mean, anytime I can talk to you is a good time. And if I can get you on the radio program, that's good. But we could have never done what we just did. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. You know I will be watching UVU. And it's so good to talk to you, Mark. Thanks so much. Jim, great to talk to you too, man. We'll stay in touch, okay? Did you know that a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? October is Fire Prevention Month, and it is right around the corner. And we have teamed up with First Alert. It is the most trusted brand in fire safety to help you get ready for the unexpected and review some key safety tips. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. Having enough first alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do for your home and your family. You want to make sure to install alarms on every level and in every bedroom of your home. Once the alarms are installed, it's also important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Also, remember, the alarms do not last forever. They need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you can't remember the last time that you replaced your alarm, it is best to replace that unit completely. As an option for replacement, my favorite is First Alert's combination smoke and carbon monoxide alarm with a 10-year sealed battery. The alarm features two-in-one protection against smoke and carbon monoxide. That goes without saying. And I don't have to change that battery for a decade. Lastly, Take this time and discuss home safety with your family. Plan and practice an escape route, and remember to practice it at least twice a year. For more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at home with your family, visit firstalert.com slash month. Again, firstalert.com slash month. My thanks to the mad dog, Mark Matson, for his time in that epic conversation. Now you can see why this guy was everybody's favorite teammate in the association. If you like that, I've got another 144 episodes for you to check out as well and a fresh conversation coming your way every single Wednesday. Make sure you get subscribed, and if you could, go ahead, leave us a nice five-star review. You know I appreciate that so much. I'll be back in a week with number 146, but until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Hey, man. How San Diego Charger of them? Are you effing kidding me? Dr. Dave in Chicago thinks these disorderlies have no control of the situation. The team doctor punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung. Are you fucking kidding me? Memo to the Chargers. Stop sending your staff to the John Travolta Pulp Fiction syringe class. You ain't L.A., Chargers. You're still San Diego. Outro. Message saved. Next message. Kimbo the Elephant, what's up? It's Dr. Dave. Thankfully, my jungle shtick is not being the resident drunk or stoner. I know that comparing me to the Chargers team position is great fodder for the show. 
I was actually this close during residency to going into sports medicine with the goal of becoming a team physician. But then I realized that I don't have to deal with either whiny parents if I was a high school team physician or whiny fans if I was a college or pro team physician if their athlete isn't cleared. Reminder to everybody, get all your flu shots and stay safe during COVID with flu together. Later, bitches. Message saved. Next message. Rome, Jason, in the uh, up in Wisconsin here. Great hearing that Steve Smith uh, discovered hiking. We had a couple of little kids in our family, and we've been hiking with them ever since they were old enough to put in a stroller and take out in the woods. We love it. Glad to hear that Steve Smith discovered it, getting out there, getting connected, getting peaceful. I wish more and more people would come to that realization that, hey, you know, you got to connect to nature every once in a while, really recharge your batteries, get all disconnected from devices, from TV, from the Internet, connect with the world. Out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Jeff in British Columbia. Washington State Cougar fan for, uh, what, 15 years? When Mike Leach went to Mississippi State, I knew he would make them great with the air raid. Mississippi State is just rolling right now. Man, this is just so much fun. Peace out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Vance Mack. Mike at the Hacker Dome. I'm here in Buffalo where the Bills are about to blow the biggest lead since Greg Norman in the 96 Masters. Oh, wait. What is this? It's Josh Allen. Back to pass. He lost it. It's Tyler Croft. He's wide open. It's a touchdown! And the Bills win! Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Steven Center. I'm, I'm watching a little tape delay every show today. You, you have to always keep the Watch Your Beef segment. You're, everything you do is brilliant, beyond brilliant, but your clones go crazy. It's pretty good, and they're getting better at it. Message saved. Next message. Yo, Romy, I know you ain't playing this on your show, because my beef is with the fucking job I just left. Fuck those. Message deleted. You have no more messages.